This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 475. For Wednesday, January 17th, 2024, my name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we're into. Joining me this week, Stephen is back. You can find him at Stephen ESC on Twitch and on social media. Hello, sir. Hello to you. And it's been a few weeks since we recorded our holiday roundtable, of which you were a part, as well as Mm -hmm. James the Civilian and Alistair. It was a good time. And uh, uh, we're now kind of getting into the things that we are looking forward to in 2024 that we talked about on that episode. So if uh, folks haven't checked that out, they should go listen because I had a really good time on the holiday roundtable. Yeah, me too. And it was fun because the um, we get together when we can in person every third Thursday of the month. And it was basically <laughs> the crew from that recording ended up going out to have a, grab a bite as well. So it was almost like we were able to follow up on the same topics, but in person. It's fun to have that stuff off mic too. Like, I mean, I, I, yeah. I started the Citadel Cafe to hang out with friends that at the time, Peyton and Chad both have young kids. And I mean, the kids are now like teenagers, but at the time they were really young and leaving the house was a problem because like you have to have a babysitter or you always felt like you were leaving the kid home with the missus. And so, uh, and actually at the time, Chad didn't even live in the city. So it was difficult to hang out at all. Um, because he was always on vacation and then you're bringing, you know, the grandkid home and you're visiting everybody. And so it's hard to visit like high school friends and all that stuff. And, um, the in-person stuff I feel has been, has been a lot of fun and, uh, looking forward to that tomorrow. So that's going to be mm-hmm. the third Thursday. I, I think we've talked about this on the show. I think maybe we talked about it at least in the post show on the holiday roundtable, where a group of us here in the city, uh, get together every third Thursday at a local pub and, uh, I mean, like I'm looking forward to the company, but I'm also looking forward to the beer. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a it's really great micro micro pub. Like they've got all over Nova Scotia. There's all kinds of different micro brews. And I had an Imperial Stout from, oh gosh, I want to say it was Big Spruce uh, just before Christmas there when we were all together. And like, it was mm. incredible. And I was sad that they only served it in like a little nine ounce glass because it was, it was also, it was, high, it was high percentage. It was like 10 or 11% or something because of the imperial nature of the way right. that it was brewed, but, but very, very good. And I would, I want another, it's, it's the season. I think McScrewgun in our live chat will agree that it's, it's the season for stouts. Although he might say that it's always the seasons for stouts, but I like a good, strong winter beer. I'm not sure about you. Oh yeah. No, I, I like, I like my beer feeling so that it's just, um, my tolerance is low these days. So having one that's a nice full <laughs> taste and then has that extra, you know, a little bit of extra hit of alcohol to it makes me sip it slower so I can yeah, yeah just enjoy, enjoy it longer. And we're often eating when we're there, like, you know, fries, burgers. Um, I think you yeah, had yeah. like dessert or something the last time we were there. Yeah. I ate before I came. So I just jumped right to dessert. <laughs> nice. They've but got I mean, a really good bread pudding that I have. I've had a few times there. Nice. Wasn't like it a, like sticky toffee pudding or was it bread pudding? Um, or are they the same thing? They might be the same thing. Regardless, there was a breaded type thing in it. There was caramel or toffee over top of it, and it was called pudding. So uh, <laughs> it's possible that all those things were true. Right. 
All, all I remember is that it's it is always delicious. So quite quite yummy. I'm always so full from my first pint and the burger there because I often get like the like a double, you know, it's like a quarter pound or more. And uh, so I'm quite full at that point. And I usually say, well, instead of having dessert, I'm just going to have another beer. <laughs> so <laughs> I usually, I go with something hoppy, like an IPA to start. Cause I find that those go better with like salty fries and, and the burger. Right. And then I switch to something heavier, like a stout or I had a really good, um, honey brown ale over Christmas. It was a stocking stuffer thing from my mom and I'm struggling to remember the name of it. I'm pretty sure I posted it on Instagram, but I don't think it's on my feed. I think it was a story. So it's long gone. But it was mm. a really nice honey brown ale, very close to a stout, but had a, a crisper, lighter feel to it. Like didn't make you feel full like a stout does. Right. It was, it was a lot lighter. And so I don't often buy brown because I, like I, you don't see it around that much. So, um, I will, I'm having now brown is on my list of stuff to try at, at Battery Park. If we, if we, uh, see any tomorrow. So yeah. We'll have Shout to out see. to Battery Park. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Great place. And really cool staff too. And as we've been going there for now a full year. Uh, every month, mm-hmm. um, I've gotten to know a few of the staff and they're, they're, they're a pretty fun, fun crew. And yeah, always friendly. Yeah. And like good to joke around with now that they, you, they see you often enough and you can kind of like joke around a little bit. Um, I know Aaron who works there is very funny and they're also really knowledgeable too. Like you can be just like, so which do I want, you know, tap 11 or tap 13. And they go, mm, you probably want 13, but if you want, I can bring you a sample. And you say, yes, before I spend, oh, yes. you know, $9 Canadian on a pint. I would like to know <laughs> what it tastes like. At some points I've been just like, Meg, you know what? It wouldn't have mattered. I would have liked them both. And then other times I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm glad I asked because one is definitely better than the other. Uh, Cause yeah. sometimes the brewmasters try to do something neat or interesting and they fail. <laughs> and, and I don't <laughs> want that with my burger. E for effort, but F for execution. <laughs> yeah. We're going to talk more about that later. <laughs> <laughs> foreshadowing uh, but to kick us off i do have some geeky news uh, that i'm excited about uh the mandalorian and grogu has been announced this is a film just a title announcement there's not much to go on beyond that and the people involved directed by john favreau produced by favreau kathleen kennedy and dave filoni the mandalorian and grogu will go into production in 2024 and it will lead Lucasfilm's ongoing feature development slate, including films helmed by Charmin Obad Chinoy. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. James Mangold and Dave Filoni, who is also currently developing Ahsoka season two confirmed. Mm. So that's awesome. This is the way, said the post. I, I agree. Uh, the Mandalorian nice. and Grogu is not the most unique title. I was going to say. <laughs> you, you know what you're getting on the tin, I guess. And. I yeah. really enjoyed that series. Favreau is someone I admire and, and think is a good storyteller. And knowing how closely that he works with Dave Filoni and now that Dave Filoni is the head of story at Star Wars, I'm on board. So I'm hoping that that's going to be a, a good kickoff. I don't know about the other films. I, I It's all just hearsay at this point. Uh, little clips from directors I've seen. And at that point, you don't know how much they've been taken out of context to suit the person that's sharing the clip you know um but i can't say that i'm excited about anything else other than something from dave filoni or Favro. um mm-hmm. i'm i'm curious about things like the acolyte and other stuff but but knowing that there's a mandalorian grogu film coming with a film budget and and a, a bigger adventure i think that's going to be really cool and knowing that they're going to try to work them together because i know that dave filoni 
is going to be directing a film that's also going to have Mandalorian and Grogu in it. That they, they said it at Star Wars London, I think. So that means that the Mandalorian and Grogu is not going to be the only appearance of those characters in that one film. I think they're pushing towards like an Ahsoka film eventually. So that could be very, very cool. Yeah, nice. So what have you been keeping your eyes on over the last little bit? Well, for myself, I sort of caught wind that DreamWorks is doing a live action adaptation of How to Train Your Dragon. And I am super conflicted about this, to say the least. This is this is a movie that is so dear to my family's heart. It's uh, I want to say it's ridiculous, but we've seen the first movie multiple times, the second movie a good handful of times, and only seen the third one once so far. But because my my boys were older by that point, so their I guess their attachment to the series had sort of faded a little bit. But we've seen. I think they're either two or three different Netflix series and we've seen them all. And we, you know, there's a song in the second movie that for dancing in the dreaming that we used to actually sing the boys when they fell asleep when they were younger. Like there's just, there's so much about this series that, like I said, is just so dear to us that I really, (laughs) I'm sort of excited at the prospect, but I'm also nervous that they're just going to ruin like a near perfect thing. And I, well, I shouldn't say near perfect ruin something that is just again so dear to us um because i mean most of the the kid characters were voiced by adults so they had you know this over exaggeration to them because it was you needed to have this this tone of the voice so that you can animate it in a certain way and have it not be dry so but they're going to have children's children play or young adults play the younger characters and so i just feel like there's going to be a certain amount of performance that'll be lost not that the Actors are going to be bad actors, but just there's going to be a certain amount of overacting that you're used to, I guess you could say, with the voice acting that's just going to be lost. So it'll have a de- definitely a different feel. Um, at the very least, they've uh, they've announced that Gerard Butler is reprising his role as Stoic. So I am at the very least relieved about this because his voice, I mean, at the very least, having him come out and being able to do the voice exactly the same is going to be phenomenal and just stick a big old beard on him and he's going to be bang on stoic i think that'll be good and then uh, they've announced nick frost as gobber and i think that's a fun choice but i don't know that like performance wise whether he'll be able to live up to the sort of fun and wildness of craig craig ferguson's voice acting i I thought he was a really good uh, choice for the the voice but visually craig ferguson just wouldn't fit the part so yeah either way i just it's (laughs) i really hope they don't screw it up that's what it comes down to could be very cool i think a, a more life more a more realistic toothless could be just really really cool to see yeah but again but again that toothless character is you know part person personality part dog part cat part you know it's oh there's just he's so good if it's got the right flavor then it could be done very well in that i am not someone that would identify as a pokemon fan but Detective Pikachu mm. was really entertaining. They dropped Fair the enough. ball at the end, but 10 minutes in, I was sold at like just these fuzzy cartoony creatures living with people. Like they, it just, it worked. And even though they were a little bit strange, like there were still real peril. Like you don't want to be near this one when it gets mad or blows up, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I, I thought there was a good mix of humor. Uh, I'm trying to think about another... Did you see Pete's Dragon, the remake live action from Disney? Um, 
It's got uh, Bryce Dallas Howard in it. I might have, which unfortunately means it didn't stick with me well enough to kind of have a leave a lasting impression. But, but that's that's another example of a dragon that's meant to be realistic, quote unquote, that like turns invisible, but also like has a cartoony like big underbite and acts like a dog. Like it's it's very much a, like a, a an animal pet. The the eyes on it are are still like a CG creature, but it emotes like a a dog would. Like it has that kind right. of like raises an eyebrow, it smiles, like that kind of stuff. And so I think they could probably, probably do it. I mean, Dean DeBlois or DeBloy is the director and he's the director of the other animated films. So oh, okay. that, I mean, like that at least is, is got something going in it in its corner for me. Um, I'm with you on the concern for younger actors and it being a little bit odd in that way. Um, Gerard Butler coming back is great. Um, I don't know a lot about Nick Frost for Gobber, but I've seen, I believe I've seen Nick Frost on if not the Graham Norton show, certainly a British chat show. And he's a funny dude. So yeah. um, I don't know what he's done. I feel like he's done a lot of British TV. He's uh, Simon Pegg's best friend. So if you've ever seen like oh, Shaun of the Dead and all of that yes, stuff, yes, he, he's yes, been yes, on, yes, in yes. almost everything early that Simon Pegg has been in. So the, the two of them together are quite funny. So I think I think he's got the chops to do it. It's just, you know, the, it, you can't help it. The flavor of delivery is going to be different. And I really mm-hmm. liked Craig Ferguson's up and down with Gobber. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like it, and I've heard it so many times, and he was the voice through everything. So it's it's going to be different for me. But so I'm like, yeah, I, I'm I'm very pleased that Gerard Butler is reprising the role. Yeah, I just have to see how it plays out. I still haven't seen the third film. I I keep on meaning to, but I just haven't. <laughs> it's good. There there are parts of it that felt like personally felt like they kind of rushed through it in order to be able to tell the full story. But I, I don't feel like it ruined the movie. It just, it felt like it did, the whole thing didn't flow as well as the other two, but I still, I, I felt like it was a fair ending for the entire thing. And I do want to watch it. And I do, I do enjoy the other, the other two were good. I, I feel like it's a little soon, you know, like Disney has been doing this for years, but they're taking movies from the eighties mostly and turning them yeah. into live action. Moana was the exception, but like Little Mermaid, um, they tried Sleeping Beauty, I think, or they're still doing Sleeping Beauty, uh, not Sleeping Beauty, Snow White. What was the other one? Lion King. Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Now that's getting into the 90s, but that's still 30 years ago. Uh, yeah. When when did the first How to Train Your Dragon come out? I guess it's probably getting up there. 2000 something. It was, uh, it was either, if it wasn't the first movie we saw with the boys, it was one of the first. So it would have been maybe 2009-ish. 2010. 10? Okay. Yeah. yeah that's that makes what sense. IMDb says. I guess for me, because I've seen them a number of times and I, I, I think of them as modern movies, not as, as like old films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think yeah. that's probably what I, and it might even be just the cutoff of like 2000. You know, like when I think about animated features before 2000, I think old Disney classics. And then when I think beyond 2000, I think more, more new things, you know, like how to train your dragon, mm-hmm. um, Kung Fu Panda, the Incredibles, mostly most of the new Pixar stuff. Like that's where my brain goes. But like, I'm not jonesing for a live action Incredibles. Like I wouldn't, I don't need that retold. It's such a no. good film. I don't want them to mess with it. So in a way I can see where you're coming from because I, I really like the first one. The soundtrack is fantastic. Yeah. And, and that, do we know if, if, uh, is it Howard Shore that did? I don't know. You've, you've, you're better at that kind of info than I am. So I, I forget to look that up. I'm just scrolling quickly. It might not be even be announced. Like they might not know. Yeah, they only have four actors tied to the show, like to the movie so far. 
I don't know the actors that they've got playing Hiccup and Astrid. Nico Park is Astrid and Mason Thames as Hiccup, but mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not familiar with them from anything. So you see actors in different things and someone else was like, oh yeah, they were in like Malcolm in the middle for years. And it's like, I don't watch that show. They like, yeah. um, <laughs> I don't have like, I'm not doing that family drama, family comedy stuff. I also just haven't had terrestrial TV for like 15 years. Like it's all <laughs> terrestrial. If, TV. if it's not on TV, it's not on streaming. I'm not watching it. Like if it's, it's CBS, forget it. Like I'm not. <laughs> I only you watch know. alien TV. None of this. Yeah. <laughs> None of this stuff from the planet. Screw that noise. I'm, I mean, I'm hopefully optimistic because I think it could be fun. Oh, I think if they nail it, it's going to be amazing. I, I feel like it could be really, really good, but it's just like, oh, I just, I just worry. Do you want them to redo all the same beats? You know, like, how do you, how do you remake this and have it be interesting for people that are big fans? Cause like you already know how it goes, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, it's, it's going to be tricky, I think. Well, I hope that again, it's, it's all going to depend on how the different actors take the characters, but I I hope that Hiccup is as awkward and clumsy as Hiccup was in the movie and is trying, Mm. trying to earn his father's approval, but just doesn't seem capable because he's, he's, he's trying to, you know, his father wants him to be something he's not. And so he'll never excel at that. Um, so, I mean, the, uh, young gentleman they have playing it, um, no good looking kid. So this might sound bad, but part of me worries that they got this sort of normal, good looking kid to play the role. So did they get him because he's pardon the, I can't think of a better way to say it, but like, is he like a heartthrob for the younger crowd these days? I don't know. In which case he may not be, I worry that he won't be able to pull off the same spirit of awkwardness that Hiccup had in the original movie. So. I worry about those things. And then there's, and then there's the crew of friends that, that Hiccup and Astrid had, and they're all over the place. Like they're, <laughs> they're a mess. And so like, you have to get, you're going to have to get actors who can, I guess it depends on how true they want to stay to the original. But like, if you get kids that are going to portray these same characters, they're going to have to be able to pull off being a bit of a bunch of whack jobs as well. So I don't know. Jonah Hill was in the original. <laughs> oh, that's right. He was Fishbone. <laughs> like he's a no, he wasn't. He's a big he actor now. <laughs> uh, he played uh, Snotlout. Snotlout, right? I mean, I and I don't right. remember this stuff. I'm looking it up on IMDb because I wanted to know the composer. And it's not uh, Howard Shore. It's John Powell is the name of the composer. Fantastic composition. I, I I still have tracks from How to Train Your Dragon on like my playlist for orchestral stuff when I when I want that kind of music. It's up nice. there with like Avengers and, you know, Superman and all that kind of stuff. I've seen it used a lot on social media as well. I've seen some really cool footage of people flying drones around Scotland and Ireland, like straight down the cliff sides near the ocean. And then they're playing like the, you know, the, the first flight soundtrack, you know, when <laughs> he, he loses nice. the instructions and he has to like pull up before it's too late, like all that stuff. And it just, it's really, really cool. I've seen some really cool medleys where they've taken how to train your dragon and Star Wars and put them together too. And that's, that's been really oh, yeah. fun. Yeah. It just, it's kind of like a fun, I'm not sure how to describe it. I'm sure that there is a neurological explanation for it, but it's kind of like a tickle for your brain where like some of these songs that just, just hit different, you know, whether it's nostalgia, whether it's the way that they're composed, you know, the skill of the composer, whether it's the notes that they're hitting. But like, for example, twin sons, Star Wars, goosebumps on my arms every time. Oh yeah. Every time. Right. Especially if nice. it's like really 
crisp and clear, like a good recording with nothing else over it. Like you're just hearing this, like it just hits you like a truck. You're like, yeah, okay. That, that has some vibes to it. Um, and then how to train your dragon and star Wars, like lots of happy feelings specifically, actually the way that they did the star Wars theme in the trailer for the last movie for the finale of the Skywalker saga, they had a really slower, but still very triumphant and upbeat version of the main star Wars theme as Mm -hmm. different cuts of that final trailer were going. And I find that that still kind of, you know, gives me a little bit of a goosebump vibe. And that again is used a lot online and clips of just about anything cool. You know, people are expecting something fun to happen and they're just, they're putting these cool star Wars moments as like, you know, someone lights up their Christmas lights for the first time or like just that kind of stuff. And so it has this, <laughs> it has the same feeling, right? It's like that Chevy chase scene from national lampoons where he plugs the lights in for the first time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff. So it's cool that the, the, the music has such a big part. So I hope that John Powell can be convinced to come on board. I mean, I guess they already have the music in a way you know so even if it's not him composing that person would have access because dreamworks would own the rights to the music to you know because they would have used it i'm sure in like the netflix shows and the tv shows and all that kind of stuff right and i I wouldn't be disappointed if they just reused a lot of the same music because it's so fitting moving into what we have been watching i actually spent a huge amount of time an embarrassing amount of time watching Netflix <laughs> over the holidays. I, I took a decent vacation and I really did a lot of nothing. Some of it was forced upon me. I needed to take a break. Uh, but I also got very into Vikings, which uh, was a history channel show from 2017 and still has a new season that's out, I think in 2023 and it's season six. I watched one through five over the holidays. Those you can find on Netflix. Unfortunately, season six is on prime video behind stack tv which is a paid add-on channel but there's a free week trial and i haven't pulled the trigger yet but i thought to myself i watched five seasons in two weeks i can watch season <laughs> six in a week like it, it would not be that tricky um yeah. so i might consider doing that the only thing that has me a little bit hesitant is the fact that i wasn't a huge fan of season four and five you can tell mm. when the production changed i think it got canceled on history because seasons one through three were 10 episodes apiece and four and five were 20. Oh, and I won't get into the spoilers, but there was some cast changes and some characters moved in a good way and other characters they didn't. And then they started to move time farther along and you're just like, mm, I don't know if we need this. Like you can still have them go through all these same things without like physically trying to add 15 years to them, you know? And so that pulled me out of it a little bit, but those small nitpicks aside, there are still some really cool moments and interesting characters in the show. It is the predecessor to Vikings Valhalla, which I have talked about on on the podcast. Uh, That was last year. So I watched them out of order. I watched the Netflix, you know, uh, sequel series before I watched the original. And I mean, you've got excellent uh, acting from the main cast. You've got some of the better production quality that I've seen in historical dramas in a while. Uh, it was really, really well made the boats and all the fighting. And there's very, very little CG if they used any at all. It's nice. like, you know, cause the battles aren't tens of thousands of people. It's a couple hundred people, 
but it's not like something impossible to do with enough extras and swords and yelling and screaming and running. So, um, and that part, it's good. Not something you want to watch over dinner. Uh, it's pretty violent. There's lots of, (laughs) lots of stuff that goes horribly, horribly wrong. And Vikings were mean. If you got caught and you were not their friend, you, you ended up in a bad way. And (laughs) the thing that I liked so much about the show and I don't want to get divisive here, but something that I really thought was interesting was the two religions. You've got the Norse religions with Odin and Thor and all those gods and then Christianity because uh, they're attacking England and all everybody in England is, is Christian. And the level of violence from both sides in the name of their gods is ridiculous. It's like, it's an excuse. And what's really interesting about that is that the difference is that of course, Odin and Thor, they're violent gods. Like violence is glory. That's how you get to Valhalla, die in battle, Mm -hmm. not on your, not like of old age. Like you're supposed to die valiantly, you know? And then in Christianity, they're all about like, they talk like forgiveness and, and all this. I mean, it's a show, but they're talking about this forgiveness and peace and the, the glory of this while they're using swords and bows and arrows to kill people, you know, <laughs> you know, like it's just, and not just Vikings, like they're squabbling amongst themselves for power and, you know, cardinals within the church are trying to rise and all this kind of stuff. So mm. that I thought was, was an interesting kind of parallel, but also something they did very well in the show was when characters who are very smart, very strategic and are just kind of like going with their gut and sometimes are questioning their God or gods as to whether they exist, they get a good idea or they are triumphant in something. And you can see like publicly, they might say, ah, you know, like Odin has blessed us or Thor was with us. We won the battle. But in, in behind the scenes, they're like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I just had a really good strategy here. Like I kind of want to take the credit myself, but I get more (laughs) people, like more people will follow me and support me. If I say the gods are good and has, have blessed us because most of the people are dumb. Well, cause the Vikings couldn't read, like they didn't have a written word. That was all storytelling. It was like when you get into England, this is like 790 AD. And so it was really, really interesting to see that kind of juxtaposition. But what was apparent to me, especially with some of the smarter characters was that they would have an idea for a new way to do things in society, a new boat design or a new battle strategy. And they would, it's like they're unaware of their own thought. It's like, oh no, I didn't come up with this. My God or Mm. gods gave this to me in a vision. I've had a vision. And it's like, no, you had a bad dream or you had a good dream and you thought about a better sale and how it might benefit you and your people. (laughs) But it's like the gods have spoken. It's like, no, you just, you're not aware of your own thoughts. You put two and two together. Yeah, but they do that. They communicate to you that in such a good way in that show. Like you, you see what they're doing and you can see sometimes that the characters are like confused. It's like they have so much self-doubt sometimes like, I'm not smart enough to think of this. It must've been a sign from the gods because like, I couldn't come up with this on my own, you know? Mm. And and he's like, no, like you just, you, you've been building ships your whole life. Of course you can come up with this on your own. You've built hundreds of these. (laughs) You're bound to get better at it over time. And I, I just, I thought that was really interesting. And again, the, the fourth and fifth seasons are a little bit, a little bit hard to get through because they're longer, 
a lot of stalling. There's a lot of stalling. There's a lot of like long shots of someone's face or characters that just say the same thing over and over and over again. People that have watched the show probably know who I'm talking about. And it's just, it was good though. Like it's, it's worth a watch. Uh, one of the better historical dramas that I've seen in a very, very long time. So getting into something we have both watched rebel moon part one, a child of fire, which needs a longer title. If you're asking me, I think that that that's a little <laughs> short. Um, I spoiler surprise. I didn't like it. I went in with very low expectations where it is the latest from Zack Snyder, who I have lost a lot of respect for from the stuff that he's been putting out. And I'm curious as to what your first impressions were. We had a very brief discussion about it a couple of weeks ago when we were hanging out in person and we kind of didn't want to get into it because I didn't want to cannibalize content for the show. Um, but we knew we were supposed to talk about this last week. So, so like out of the gate, yay or nay, do you recommend this to friends or, or not? If you haven't seen Star Wars, Star Trek, like any, like a bunch <laughs> of popular movies, sure. <laughs> but I mean, you and I touched on this. It's like, it's, it steals from so many different things that it, it doesn't feel like there's a lick of originality to it. I also had low expectations, but it was one of those things where, you you know, when you lower the bar enough, you hope that. Oh, you'll be pleasantly surprised as it passes those expectations, but I don't <laughs> I don't feel that it did. Visually, there were some cool things in it. I have to say, visually I thought it was um pretty neat in some parts, but it not that they were then not that those cool things were original. I just thought visually they they did a good job with some things, but it's a long-winded way to say nay. I don't recommend it unless someone is like curious to see what all the negativity is about. Like if you want to watch it to understand why people are slamming it online, then sure. I wouldn't say it's a waste of your time because I feel like no. it's, it's one of those things where it's like, well, it's got some entertainment value. Like I didn't turn it off. It's not like I would have walked into the theater, you know, like it wasn't that kind of bad. Um, the acting in it is mostly pretty good. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I agreed. you know, anything that you kind of roll your eyes at, it's the writing, not the acting, you know, like it's not, it's not the delivery from, from the people involved. And like you said, visually, you know, it, it holds up in a lot of ways, except for the fact that it's blurry. I don't know why it's fucking blurry. Yeah. You, I didn't catch that. You, you did. I mean, we have a difference in television viewing technology mm-hmm. where yours is a higher resolution screen than what I've got. So I, it's, it's possible that, cause I didn't, don't have a 4k that I just didn't see it. So I thought it was a problem. Like I thought I was like, what, is, like I'm just cleaning my glasses. And then I was like, this is dumb. Like, am I, <laughs> is Netflix goofing around here? Cause every once in a while, these streaming services will like drop the ball or like my internet will go screwy. But like, I've got 150 symmetrical, like it's not, I can do this stuff very cleanly. Uh, and I watch Netflix in 4k cause I have a 4k TV and I looked it up and sure enough, there's lots of people going like, why is it blurry? And it's because mm. Zack Snyder thought, Hey, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend uh, thousands of dollars developing a new lens to try to make this look like it was filmed on VHS. Why? Yeah. When you know that it's a Netflix film, it's like home video viewing is what's happening. And most of your people have at least a 1080, if not a 4k TV. And you decide let's make it smudgy and blurry, really shallow depth of focus. Uh, 
it's more apparent in the early parts of the film. I don't remember seeing much of it later on, but it matters less when it's like a lens flare or a ship in the background when it's compared to a shot with two people talking. And then like the focus isn't even used correctly. Where like one person talks and the other person talks and they don't switch the focus. So I'm watching the blurry person talking. I'm sure that actor put a lot of time into their performance, but I can't see it because they're a smudge. <laughs> <laughs> because they're, you know, two feet away from the camera compared to being one foot away from the, like the depth of field was just pathetic. Anyway, drove me a little bit crazy. Uh, once I realized it wasn't like an error on my end, I was like, well, that's dumb. At least I know what to look for now. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, that kind of stuff drove, drove me nuts. And then, like you said, I didn't find anything original in it. I lost count of the amount of shots, ideas or concepts that were stolen in the first 20 minutes mm. star wars dune how to train your dragon there's a there's yeah. a flight sequence with a black pegasus that means nothing you never hear about it see it again it doesn't matter and it's it's even black steven like it's not they didn't know, even make it red <laughs> like they, did, it just... they did the, they did the touch of the nose thing as well i was just like well all of it all of it yeah uh, Warhammer, which I haven't played or seen much of ex outside of just like art and reference in pop culture. So I've seen that stuff before any world war II film or alternative history, post-apocalyptic <laughs> film where the Nazis won because they're in it. The guy, he's dressed like a nuts. Like it's not even the, an interesting costumes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's a Nazi costume. Like it's not even trying to be anything else. Uh, Blade Runner folks in our live chat might be able to fill me in on what anime that I'm thinking of, but I've seen a lot in animation of battleships, like terrestrial earth looking world war two battleships that are spaceships in <laughs> anime sci-fi. I don't know the names of those sci of those shows, but I've seen it before 100%. And those, while cool, are in this as, as, as a thing. I'm just like, you didn't even think about that either. Like it's, it's, it's also derivative and it didn't feel very original to me at all. For those of you who don't know, the idea for the movie started about 15 years ago, originally as a pitch, as a Star Wars movie. Right. But then that didn't land. And so then it eventually became its own thing. So I, I guess I was hopeful that it was going to be like this, maybe a cool spin on some sci-fi that we were familiar with. And then take it in an original direction. But yeah, that didn't happen. The main antagonist also, I mean, this is the, the Nazi guy. Oh yeah. Atticus Noble played by Ed Green is uninspired. Like he's just, and I'm not throwing shade at screen. He obviously had direction. Like he's just another calm spoken, prone to violent outbursts, Nazi officer type with a British accent. Sound familiar? <laughs> Another, another Nazi with a British accent. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just, it's, they're not even German. Like, it, you know, like, I mean, it would be too on the nose, I guess if they were. Yeah, maybe. It's like, but you're, it's like, you're not hiding anything else. Why are you pretending that they're not German? Like I just, anyway, it just, there's, there's so much room in sci-fi for inspiration and different ideas and to just go through all of this. And especially when you hear things like uh, Snyder saying, well, it's a love letter to fans. Yeah. Of all the franchises that you're ripping off, <laughs> by the way, that doesn't work. They're not going to be like, oh, this is the best film ever because it combines all of the ideas I've already seen from franchises I love. That's not why we love those franchises. You know, like it, it's because those franchises take care to have their own ideas. People are not in love with the uh, the character of Ahsoka Tano because she was in Star Wars 
in different ways throughout the years. No, it's a new character that was developed by Dave Filoni for a cartoon and eventually made it into live action, but new, you know, and yeah. has now become part of the zeitgeist of Star Wars. But it, it's not like Ahsoka Tano was ripped from another property and Star Wars fans were like, oh yeah, cool. I've seen this in an anime before. I'm going to like this because it's stolen. Like, that's not how that works. It just, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. The acting from a few of the characters was good. Sophia Butella, who plays Korra, is mm-hmm. the main protagonist, also a star of a Star Trek film. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> she's action-based. She's There's not a lot of dialogue from her, but I, I liked her presence. I did feel kind of like the moody former military trying to hide in plain sight sort of thing and felt that she was very capable. Whenever they did action sequences, I felt that she was very capable. She was one note for a lot of the movie, but that, mm-hmm. I don't think that was her fault. I think that was just where, yeah, you know, the writing took her character. But you do you do see a flip because at the very beginning of it, she is she seems to be, if not actually at peace, realizing that she could be at peace on the planet that she was on and doing farming and stuff like that. And then and then as soon as the bad guy showed up, she just became like tense action military person mode, and and it stayed that way for almost the entire thing. So. Yeah, I think, I think she, I actually quite liked her. I just didn't think they gave her enough to do with, in the character. I think that one of the more interesting characters was uh, the pilot smuggler scoundrel. Sound familiar? Um, <laughs> Kai, uh, which was Charlie Hunman, who's a good actor. Yeah. I've seen him in a couple of things. And spoilers, they kill him at the end of the movie. And he dies unceremoniously. Like it feels like it was a choice maybe made later. They don't even really show it. They kind of give you a sound effect and they cut away immediately. Like there's no yeah. death scene. He's not shown like on the floor dead with his eyes open. Like he's a decent star. Like you'd think that he would get some death scene screen time, you know? And it's weird because I've seen Hunnam talking about his role in interviews and he sounds so proud of it and the work that he did on the dialogue. And then no one could understand it in post-production so that or in screen tests so he had to go in and like do it all over again in adr which Hmm. you could you can see like there's some parts of it that feel kind of odd but he's so proud of the role like i kind of wonder whether those interviews were conducted before he died like before he knew he died Uh, maybe yeah it just it just it felt so odd and so i was like well i thought this was going to be interesting dynamic i thought he was maybe going to be part of the good guys or come back around, you know, that kind of a thing. But like, I guess, I guess not. When you have an interesting thing going in a movie that you're not enjoying and then they remove it, you're like, well, I'm out. Like I, yeah. And unfortunately I feel like because I've invested the two hours, I can't remember how long it was into this, that I kind of want to see part two. It's kind of like a train wreck that you can't turn away from. Well, it's possible that they've, They've done all of the stealing in the first movie <laughs> to, to then launch the second one. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, it, yeah. it is possible that uh, Charlie Henman's character is not dead because it's not. Spoiler alert, cover yours if you don't want to hear it. But I mean, when I thought, assumed Atticus Noble was dead at the end as well, he should have been. But then it turns out that he's not entirely human. So it's possible that maybe Charlie Henman will come back with that one as well. Well, see, and that's the other thing too that I thought was a bit of a cop-out in that I would have been more interested if Atticus Noble died. Like if he was the right-hand man of the evil Lord, that's, you know, the head of the Nazis and he died in the end of part one, 
then that means that the evil Lord, who's even meaner than him, has to come out and start smacking stuff around. And that would, mm. to me, would have been a bolder choice and would have been more interesting. But this movie does not make any bold choices outside of the <laughs> one killing Kai, which I don't know if it's a bold choice or just like a cop out. You know, it's, it's a little strange. Now, to remind myself that it is a part one and to, to your point of the main character Cora's development, because it's a part one, I am curious to see where she would go in part two, because you've got, yeah. might get a better arc if you, if you saw both parts together. And I think that that's a problem with not just Rebel Moon, but like with Hollywood in general these days. Dune has done the same thing with a part one and a part two. Like just, just write two really good films that are separate, that give you a contained story, but tell an overall story at the same time. Star Wars did it. It's not rocket science, but the part one, part two, one, it's a dumb title. Just come up with something better. <laughs> Call it rebel moon, a child of fire and rebel moon, you know, a child of fate. I mean, I just came up with that now. Surely the writer's room can do better. You're hired. I think that that kind of thing would be much better and do them like shorter. Like don't have them be so, I don't want to watch act one as a whole movie because it doesn't feel satisfying, right? You're not, I didn't leave this movie going like, I felt like that was a good story. I felt like it was an odd ripoff beginning of a story, but I didn't mm. feel like I had a whole story, right? You barely get no. the adventure started. The whole film is a recruitment job. They yeah. get all the different characters together and they go, anyway, see you next time. It's like, but, <laughs> like it works for a half an hour or an hour long show. That's the first of a series of 10, like something on Disney plus, like a Marvel series or something, but it does, it doesn't work for, for this, in my opinion, I'm sure I will probably watch the next one. If nothing else for follow up on this show. And I mean, Hey, I'd be happy to be proven wrong. I'm not going to change my mind about all the stealing. I think that that's just terrible yeah um but i you know if, if they impress me with the story or if they do something different i'll be like all right well points you know you went in a direction i didn't expect i will be surprised if i'm surprised i guess is my bottom line and and for me you you saying you're going to watch the sequel and i probably will as well just the more i think the more we talk about it the more i realizing i, I didn't dislike it enough to not want to watch the second one if i'm going to be honest with myself like it's mm -hmm. They made me care about some of the characters enough to make me want to see what happens to them. I think maybe that's what it is. There's, a, there's like two or three characters that I really want to see how they their story plays out. I'm really hoping it's a little bit more original. So I don't have a ton to say about this, but I watched The Creator just last night on mm. Disney+. Plus. I've since canceled my Disney Plus um, subscription from last month and it runs out in a couple of days. So the last week I've been basically watching all the Disney Plus stuff I want to get watched before my sub runs out. And if you want a good sci-fi film that's not Marvel, Star Wars, or Star Trek, I think you should watch instead of Rebel Moon or maybe watch before Rebel Moon or as a palate <laughs> cleanser after as I have done. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking more of that one. Speaking of Star Wars, it's directed by Gareth Edwards, who directed Rogue One, a Star Wars story, arguably one of the better Star Wars films, and the score is by Hans Zimmer. So already it's got a pretty good pair at the helm. It's not perfect. I won't say it's perfect. I don't think it deserved the panning that it got online. A lot of people didn't really like it, but the acting is good. The story is interesting and the special effects are unique and really cool and very well done. Like the suspension of disbelief, like you just, you just stop thinking about AI and robots and synths and you just, it's just, they're people 
for the lack of a better term, they're characters in a, in a story and you're just invested in it. And, um, for those of you that might not be familiar, if you've seen the trailer, this is when the synthetic AI, I don't want to say they're called synths. They're essentially robots, but they're synths because they have emotions. Like the AI has developed that state. When they turn sideways, it's when you can see through their head. They've got, instead of ears, they have like a ring mm. and you can oh, see, see right through. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that's this film. If you've not, if you've not, you know, penned it in your brain from seeing the trailer. And John David Washington is good. He's the lead. He's in it a lot. Like you basically follow him around all the time. And he has to do a lot of different things physically, emotionally. He really kind of carries you through the story. He's a good shepherd in that way. Allison Janney is very good. She's the villain. She's like a military general and she's badass. I, I really liked what she did with, with her role. Ken Watanabe is also very good. He plays a mm. synth. There's some special effects, you know, that make him even cooler than he is, but he's already pretty cool. And he has that calming voice of, you know, what the AI really want and why they're doing what they're doing and all that kind of stuff. And again, I won't get into spoilers in this review. And then Madeline Yuna Voiles, I think is her name, is incredible. She plays the little child called Alpha, I want to say, Alfie is, is the nickname because Alpha is like one of her designations. So, um, Joshua, the main character, uh, Washington played by Washington calls her Alfie and her acting. I mean, for the first half of the time you're with her, she's nonverbal and she uh, is also a synth and she learns as you, as they go, she learns English and then she starts talking to him and she does all this kind of cool stuff. And as she learns more, she becomes more emotional, like her emotions mature with her intelligence increase. Mm, interesting. By the end of it, I mean, she's only supposed to be, I mean, I guess she's, she's not a five-year-old, but she's I, like 10 or under, like she's meant to be a little kid, not a teenager, you know, like child. And the emotion and the weight from this young actress is just phenomenal. And already on top of like having all the special effects and she doesn't have any hair or ears and like it's just it's kind of just her eyes and her face that you're dealing with it reminds me of do you remember the princess from the never-ending story yes vaguely yes so it's like it's got that kind of emotional impact i mm. feel um because she's kind of like this symbol and this this idea as much as she is a character and i thought it was really really good that's cool Again, it's not perfect. It's long. It suffers from some pacing issues that I wasn't a fan of. I kind of thought it was ending twice. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's just so cool visually that you're you're kind of in it for the ride no matter what. There is some like action defying the script says so stuff that kind of bothered me. Like there's a firefight on the bridge. The end result is that, you know, the main character is supposed to shoot another character. And there's all these other characters shooting at this other guy too. And they're all machines. Like they're all these very adept AI with almost superhuman powers. It's like, how are you missing? The guy? Like he's right there. Like there's bullets flying everywhere. And in other mm. parts of the movie, these same AI robots or police robots or whatever are like deadly accurate. And they're meant to be scary. Like you're meant to be like, oh crap, like you can't mess with these guys. They don't miss. Right. And then on the bridge and like the climax, they kind of miss a lot. <laughs> You're just kind of like, and it's just because the scenes go on so long or like if it had been a shorter firefight, it would have made a lot more sense. So there are things like that that are kind of odd and things like, um, again, I won't say who, one of the techniques that the AI use when they're fighting humans is that when humans are running away, 
like they're trying to escape or, or evac or get out of the situation, instead of shooting the people running, they tag one of the people running to like the evacuation vehicle with a bomb. And so they get onto the evacuation vehicle, it takes off and then boom, right? Because mm. they kind of planted an explosive. But I'm sure this is for the dumb audience, but these are highly trained military personnel, which you are led to believe through several scenes in the film. And then they get shot in the back with something that makes a sound effect like a thud. It has a red blinking light on it that's counting down with a timer visible and it beeps. <laughs> and you don't notice it? <laughs> and then they notice it at the last minute when it's like three, two, one. And like no one thinks to kick them off the plane. Save the 20 people on board. See you later. <laughs> like, kick them yeah. off. So stuff like that was, I kind of was like, Re really? You didn't see the red blinking light? <laughs> you know? And it's like on a backpack? Like get rid of the backpack. Like just Why? But still made for a very cool fiery explosion. But, but I like the original idea of like, instead of shooting the person dead, they plant a bomb on them. Like that's real smart. I like yeah. I, it's, it's cruel, but efficient, <laughs> which I like. More bang for your buck. Yeah. No, no, pun, <laughs> no pun intended. And then one of the themes that I was noticing, despite the AI thing, which is very popular right now, is the more and more movies or shows I see like this. And I'm seeing more America as the bad guy. Oh, interesting. Specifically the American military. Because sometimes like you're within America and it's the American military or the American right that's like the bad guys. But in this, it's like America in general, they're just using their might to just squash. And, and they really, they paint them all as villains. All of them. There's not like none of the humans outside of Joshua and maybe a handful of other ones are good people. Everyone else is just like a root toot and shoot and ask no questions cowboy and it's mm. it's it's a it's not like it's done in a way that's not smack you in the face it's done in a way where you realize i don't like any of the people in this movie i like the machines <laughs> more right and you're like oh that's interesting i like that they did that like i i you know they they and they don't do it quickly like they they work you to it throughout like the second act and so again the creator, really good sci-fi film and has nothing to do with like Marvel, Star Wars or Star Trek. Nice. Go watch it. That's refreshing. Have you had anything else come into your eyeballs? I know you're not the biggest fan of it, but I caught season two of What If. Oh yes, okay. More of the same of the first one, which means if you didn't like the first one, you probably won't like the second season, but I enjoyed it. For me, I like it because it takes the characters that you, you kind of grown to know over the years and puts them in, you know, just what if they were in this situation and some of them are turned up to be pretty interesting. Some of them fall flat. I mean, there's a uh, two of them that I enjoyed probably more than the other the other ones. One was uh, what if Hela found the Ten Rings? Basically, she got banished the same way that Thor got banished and had her powers removed. Ends up in the time when in ancient Chinese times when the the Ten Rings were there, and I thought that was that was an interesting one. And then there was uh, the one that I kind of I quite liked and felt like it had more potential because it's it's not from anything we've seen in, before in Marvel was what if Kahori reshaped the world and Kahori is a, a, a past Mohawk woman um, who ventures into um, what they were calling the waters of the forbidden lake to help save her people because it was, it was at the time when basically Europe was coming and taking over America and cleansing the land of Aboriginal people. So it was, it was interesting that they gave this character the opportunity to go into the forbidden lake and basically gain superpowers and come back 
and protect her people. And and then so it was it felt like a very standalone story. But then she managed to come back later in one of the other episodes as well, which led to some very cool action sequences. I thought that might have been my favorite episode of the whole thing was that was that one not tied to any previous Marvel IP or like MCU IP yet. So it was uh, was pretty good. Then there was um, the last one. What if Doctor Strange Supreme intervened? And that that's where Kahori comes back. And there's some really cool action sequences with uh, Peggy Carter. So she came back and had uh, some action sequences with Kahori fighting, fighting Doctor Strange, which were really, I thought, I thought they were really cool. So do they keep the consistency? So one of the alternative ideas was that Peggy Carter got the super serum instead of Captain America. In this case, it was, yes. Yeah. They, they did stay consistent because the, the Watcher, even the Watcher at one point said, I usually don't like doing sequels. Like, <laughs> essentially, like, likes telling, likes, like to do, uh, like, the one-off stories, but then basically said we're going to check in with my friend Peggy Carter because at the end of the first season did you ever did you finish the first season I don't think I finished the first season no I think as far as I got was the Doctor Strange one where he kind of loops around and tries to save his girlfriend like or fiance like a like a hundred times right but I don't know whether that was close to the end close to the middle it's about where I fell off either way it, it got to the point where Peggy Carter was one of the, or uh, Cap- Captain Carter was one of the superheroes who helped save the world from that scenario that was happening. That's sort of that you were describing from Doctor Strange. And so she actually had a conversation with the Watcher at the end of season one. So it was, I thought it was kind of neat nice that they did a check-in back with her in season two. So I, I thought her character was pretty cool. And I would not be disappointed if they managed to somehow bring Captain Carter into the MCU later on. It was, I thought it was neat to see her in, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Is that what it was called? Yes. So I only got four episodes into season one. What if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands is where I stopped. Because mm. episode five was what if zombies. And I was just like, I'm out. I don't need this. That was a fun one, though. I mean, that was <laughs> totally, totally bonkers, but it was fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I guess the thing about season one is they were all one offs and similar to season two. But then they they all actually come together in the end and kind of culminate into one um to to one story actually also a lot of the things that were led up to that and, and the same thing happened in the season two so anyway if you if you enjoyed season one you'll enjoy season two yeah i don't, I don't besmirch them i think they're just maybe not for me i know a lot of people find them very fun but it's i was the same way when i was reading comics when i was younger like it would be the one-off weird one that where it's something silly happens i'm just like i'm reading this really serious serial of superheroes trying to save the world or get the bad guy or you know save a teammate or something and then they go mm-hmm. and they do like the halloween episode or not episode but yeah. like book and it's <laughs> like no i don't this is this is just delaying what i want to see and so I, and i'm weird like that and you know it's it's like um brock and i talk about it on the show sometimes when superman gets silly because that's there's some silly stuff in superman but when they bring that into the in the animations or the TV shows, like I really don't like it. Mixopitlek is is a weird space nymph from I don't know where that is like this weird Rumpelstiltskin character in Superman, and I hate it. It's it's the mm. worst plot device. Like it just drives me crazy. And they did it in Smallville, and they did it in the cartoons, and like it just it, uh, not my favorite. I would I would rather watch Superman stop a bank robbery than that. I get kind of weirdly realistic with my superheroes in sci-fi sometimes, which is an odd oxymoron. I understand it's a little bit, yeah, a little bit strange. I get it though. 
I like the animation from these. Like, they're well done. And the voice acting's cool. Actually, one, one of the things I do like is that, for the most part, the actors yes. who voice the characters in the movies come back yep. to do the TV series. So John Favreau back as Happy, Kat Dennings back as Darcy, Colby Smulders back as Maria Hill, and Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Like, you know, and you've got the Hulk, nice. Barton. So it's, it's pretty cool. And even though they didn't get uh, Robert Downey Jr. for Tony Stark, I feel like the person they got for him did a, does a really good Robert Downey Jr. impersonation. It's not perfect. You can tell it's not perfect, but it's... Uh, since you came to know and love him as Iron Man, it's kind of nice to have him sounding like Iron Man, where like you've got Lake Bell as Natasha Romanoff, and it doesn't quite sound the same. But she, she does a great job at it, but it's a, the character definitely sounds different. So, Did Cumberbatch come back for Doctor Strange in Season 2? Yes. Nice. Moving on into the Internet Minute, which is brought to you by you. The Citadel Cafe is 100% listener-supported. If you're getting value out of the show please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server shared with my personal Discord and access to the Barista Cut bonus audio, the extended version of the podcast. We also record the podcast live. There's a live crew here right now and you get access on the Discord. Special thanks to our Bean Counter patrons, Cosmic and Smurf588. Thank you so much for your support on this episode. Patron count is at 27, which is steady on from the last time we recorded. Our goal each time we sit down is to have at least one more patron than the recording before. If you'd like to be patron number 28, visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. My pick surprise is Lego. (laughs) It is the Ideas Polaroid One Step SX70 camera. Oh, that's cool. Set number 21345, $99 in Canada. Only 516 pieces, not a very big set. No dimensions listed, at least not when I made these notes, but it looks to be about five or six inches at the base, maybe three or four inches tall. Probably roughly the size of the Polaroid camera whenever that was first put mm-hmm. out. I thought this would interest you, Stephen, as a designer. I I think it's a fun no- nod to older, nostalgic piece of technology that obviously had some design in its physicality not just in what it did making instant photos was was very cool but like the look of it and the feel of it 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 feels like old like apple computers yeah those kind of of devices where they had an intentional design of the thing like a tangible feeling they were supposed to evoke and i thought that was really interesting and i won't get into the details but i think i know someone that worked on this and so i'm oh, curious nice. i'm going to i'm going to bump them and and see if i can get some inside inside scoop info it's very cool it's just a a neat little set it's not something i'm going to pick up but i just i thought from a designer design perspective i just thought wow that's that's a solid a solid representation of the sx70 yeah, and I like. I'm just looking at the the photo right now, and I I like the fact that the, the colored stripes that they have going down the front. At first, I thought it was just a sticker, but they've actually they actually used Lego pieces for the different colored stripes. And I was like, oh, that's that's a nice extra little attention to detail there. That's good. And what's your pick this week? My pick is a little bit nerdy, I guess, but it's um, two factor authentication software that I just found recently that I've switched over to. So it's called Two FAS open source two-factor authentication application. I used to use Authy before as what I would use. So like two-factor authentication for what if people don't know. Sometimes, you know, when you try to log into an account or a service and they say, we've texted you this code, that's two-factor authentication, but you can, you can do that without text messages. So 
it would, you know, I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but that's just it in a nutshell. I was using Authy for a while, but there was just always something about the interface that bugged me. So I was always trying to find a new one. So then, yeah, I found 2FAS and it's quite cool. I find the user interface a lot cleaner, easier to get at um, the different codes than Authy. And I guess my favorite feature about it is there's so many times when you, you see that there's a countdown timer for it. And usually when there's only, you know, five to 10 seconds left, you're going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I have to get this code copy and paste it in. Otherwise, it's not going to work. But with five seconds left, it's the only app that I found that'll show you what the next code is going to be. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so then when you tap on it, instead of it copying the current code, it actually copies the future code so that you can actually just, you're basically not wasting your time. You know, first world problems, right? It's just like you're waiting five seconds, but you don't have to, you don't feel, when I was new to two-factor authentication, I was I felt this kind of panic of not getting it into typing it into the field quickly enough. So this is just I know, a small thing, but I, I love it. I use two-factor all the time. Most of the time I have it set up for a text message, but that's mm-hmm. because I'm at my Mac. And the Mac does this really cool thing where it gets the text message. And then all you have to do is drop your cursor in the field where you're supposed to put the code. Yeah. And it just, you can click an autofill. You don't have to type in anything. And you don't even have to open up your text message. Like the computer just knows you've got one. This is provided you've got text message forwarding and stuff all set up on Messenger. But I I find it very, very convenient. Uh, The rest of the time I'm using a password manager and I I don't think I have two-factor on everything, but I've got it on all the important things, you know, banking and all that stuff. And then I looked it up while you were talking and I'm using a combination of Authy and Google Authenticator. Right. And I think... I probably just started with Authy and just haven't moved off of it yet. I prefer the Google Authenticator. It's a clean interface and it tells you like what it's for, like what's the thing for. And I I like that about it. But I like that idea of seeing the next code ahead of time. Because very Mm -hmm. often when I'm logging into Twitch on, I want to say it's like my iPad for Lego Fridays when I was doing those. I'm not logged into the iPad very often. And so I always have to enter in like my Twitch password and my code and I'm typing on an iPad and it's a little slow. So like, I don't often get the whole code before it goes away. So sometimes I am sitting there waiting, like whatever. I know I can't do it in 10 seconds. I'm just going to wait for the new one to show up. Like you said, it's not the end of the world. It's a first world problem. But when you're about to go live and you've got like people in the chat waiting for you, like just there's <laughs> there's that feeling of urgency, even though if I'm 10 seconds late, no one cares, right? But there's that feeling of, I said I would be live at one. I would really like to be live at one. I'd like to log in my chat. Let me log into my chat. I can, I can understand the, the appeal. Yeah. How's the design interface? Like, do you find it slicker than others? It's actually similar to Google Authenticator. Okay we had to start using Google Authenticator for something at work. And I was and I was using Authy exclusively. Then I saw Google Authenticator and went, oh, that's cool. You can see the numbers right away. Where You can't see that with Authy. You have to then right. you know, tap on the service to see the code, then copy the code. Now, again, not the end of the world, but it's just, there's like, there's, I don't know, there's a cumbersomeness to Authy that's always thrown me off a little bit. So I liked Google. And then I thought, okay, well, if Google does this, what what else is there that I just didn't actually research properly or as thoroughly as I could have, or, or what's new basically. And then, um, so the interface is similar. The font they use, I find is a little bit on the light side. Um, like they use a very, very either, it's either, either Helvetica thin or Helvetica light. So I kind of threw a comment in their discord accessibility wise. It would be great if this was a little bit bolder, 
And so they basically said, cool, thanks. Send it off to the developer. So we'll see. But I like it. It's uh, a lot cleaner than Authy, very similar to Google Authenticator. So if, if you like Google, then you would like this one as well. And it's free. So yay. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Stephen and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod, and you can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com or find the show by name on social media. Subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, but that's getting folded into Google Music eventually. So just look for us wherever you want, and I'm sure you will find the Citadel Cafe. The RSS feed is linked on the website. Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything that I'm doing online at joelduggan.com. That includes a link to my other podcast all about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com. And this past week, Pixlerifs and I interviewed Nembon, one of the senior game developers at Mojang, who makes Minecraft. And it was a really, really cool conversation. I would encourage everybody to go check it out. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week, Minecraft from the Sizzle server and other games too. Steven, where can people find you online? been a little bit quiet on social media lately, but looking forward to getting back to streaming on twitch.tv slash Stephen ESE, and that's Stephen with a PH. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two. 